John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed. Hey, Ed, this is John. Hey, it's the High Gain Podcast. It is the High Gain Podcast. I'm pretty excited about this. It's a sunny day in beautiful West Seattle. That doesn't happen much. No, exactly. I'm ready to go. Yeah? I think maybe this week we go ahead and just bring a guest in. What do you think? I think we should. I feel like I've really randomized this intro. That's how you do. Yeah, exactly. This week, Ed, Anand Wilder erstwhile of yesair he's here and he has a new solo album out goddamn ed yeah it's really good that's a fact that is a true fact anand would you say so i think it's probably the best album of 2022 at least right (laughs) wow (laughs) top 10 easy welcome to the show thanks for having me good to be here are you coming to us from new york yes i'm in bedsty brooklyn right now bedsty Yep, I've been in this house for 10 years now. I'm from New Jersey originally, and Ed hates it that I mention it whenever I can. But I grew up with a couple of guys who own a bar in Bed-Stuy. Oh, what's it called? It's called Dynaco. Dynaco. Named after the old vintage speakers. That sounds really cool. And the thing that I love about New York is that you discovered new things that have been around forever or new things that have just come out, and they're always pretty interesting and cool. So I'm excited to go there. I don't know the geography well enough. Is this like New York City proper? It's Brooklyn. Is Brooklyn New York? Brooklyn is one of the five boroughs of New York. Okay. The Beastie Boys talk about that, I think. Yeah, there's Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) No T's in Manhattan. It's Manhattan. Did you grow up in the city? No, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Another great city. I don't know anyone from there. You know all about Baltimore, Ed, because you watched The Wire. (laughs) I did watch The Wire. Does that count? That's a certain depiction of Baltimore, sure. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Sure. I didn't grow up with as much violence in my life. That's probably good. Thankfully. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I am assuming you grew up playing music, though. I did. And actually, just yesterday, Dave Harrington has this new super group called Taper's Choice. And I was uh-huh. DJing right before his live stream on Relics. And I was about to walk in and someone said, hey, Anand. And I turned around and it was Goodwin Chen. He was like the virtuoso piano player. And I was like the top of the line cello player in a kind of government sponsored music program called Baltimore Talent Education Center. No kidding. Yeah. He just happened to be there. He just was biking. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't seen this guy in 30 years. Wow. He said on it. I said, Goodwin Chen. Well, so what's Goodwin up to? He's a engineer for uh, Meta, Facebook. Oh, wow. He just shredded the piano, you know. I dabbled a little bit in piano and gave up because it's just so hard. You're dividing your brain. You're dividing your hands and your fingers. Cello, you're just getting a nice tone and playing kind of like a tenor singing voice. Right. It's a difficult instrument to play, just like the violin and all, but... Piano is the one that they make the movies about the virtuosos with their brains breaking, you know. (laughs) Well, we don't have anything that complicated today. What we have besides your super duper album is a 1966 Fender Electric 12 string. Ooh. Beverages. Yes, beverages, Ed. Is that amplified? It's going through a Strymon Iridium pedal. Oh, okay. Which does a great job of sounding like an amp. Play like a little riff. Ooh. Who knew that song was recorded using one of these? I did not know that was using a 12-string until just now. A Fender Electric 12, yes. Anand, do you have a beverage? I do. I have some tea. (laughs) Oh, what kind of tea? Not to confuse with my name, Anand, it's Ahmad tea, and it's Cylon tea. Ooh. That sounds like a Battlestar Galactica tea. Yeah. Is it a different Cylon? Cylon, like the geographical location, maybe? It's like the old word for Sri Lanka. Oh. This is Ahmad tea, London. So this has definitely got some colonial history here. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This stuff is strong, but it's not as strong as the Assam tea, which is loose leaf tea that I've also been dabbling in, but I need to stop because it was giving me the jitters. <laughs> the whole American thing is like, ah, why would anyone ever have tea? It doesn't taste like anything. It's just like water with a dirty sock steeping in it. But actually, if you get these loose leaf teas from these countries where people actually drink tea, right? they will knock you off your feet. Some tea manufacturer sent us a bunch of loose leaf tea from Philly. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's got little flowers in it and lovely. And he pairs the tea with a record. That's cool. You get the can of tea and it says, if you're going to drink this tea, we recommend you listen to this album. Just a recommendation. Yeah, exactly. What do you got, Ed? I got a Rambler sparkling water from our friends in Austin, Texas. Ooh. Does it have yeah. a flavor? Water. Water-flavored water. Yeah. yeah, and I've also got a coffee. You have to have the coffee. Sure. I have something a little different, and I did not like the sound of it mm-hmm. when I got it, but I'm not afraid. Sure. This is N.O.T., Banana bubble tea with tapioca pearls oh. in a can. That sounds like my kid's dream. Oh. 
They love the boba. Do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but in a can is kind of... It's a little gnarly. Yeah, I'm not sure I want those tapioca pearls in a can. It tastes like banana juice, which is... Maybe that's not so good. (laughs) (laughs) So you were in Yaysayer. Yep, founding member, 2005. 2005 to, what was it, 2019? 2019, yeah. Our first show as Yaysayer was March 23rd, 2005. Wow. And our last show was October 31st, Halloween, 2019. Where was the first show? A place called the Bowery Poetry Club in the Lower East Side. So it's actually in the Bowery? Yeah, on I think it's on Bowery. Yeah, that, and that was kind of the first show where it was like, let's do it, let's hit this hard. Yeah. People liked it from the beginning. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that was 2005, and then the first album came out October of 2007. That would be all our symbols? All our symbols, yep. So October 2019, how could you have known that stuff was creeping into the U.S. right then? Did we know? Almost certainly there were cases popping up, not in the U.S. Yeah. I did hear about it in 2019, and then I think it was February it was in Italy? Yes. John and I went to NAM in January of 2020. We came back And right at the end of February, I had a 104 fever, and I've never known if what I had was just flu or if that was a very early case of COVID. Did you lose your sense of smell and taste? None of that was a thing then. No one said anything about it. We got it in like March of 2020. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, you know, it was that kind of thing where he was just so fatigued. Yep. I remember at night feeling like my chest was caving in. Kind of put that into a song. And I remember my wife saying to me, like, you're just anxious. Yep. And then the next day I lost my sense of smell. Didn't have any congestion at all. Wow. Which was really weird. And then my smell came back, but then my wife got it and her sense of smell and taste was messed up for a year. But there were no tests back then. It was just terror. By March, thousands of people in New York were dying every day. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. Listening to this album, Fever Seizure, Sick Hotel, and Heart Island, those all feel like they could only come from someone in New York City watching the world fall apart. <laughs> right. It feels like a non-trivial amount of this album is a ballad to COVID. Is that a terrible take? No, that's a great take. I sent it to a friend from high school, and he was like, I'm loving these COVID elegies. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I had this guy that was mixing the record for me, and he would kind of encourage me, say, come on, write another song. And then I'd write another song, and I remember saying to him, like, I'm sorry, it's another COVID song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Fever Seizure is actually an old, old song that I wrote back in 2013 when my kid, who's now nine years old, had a febrile seizure. Oh, jeez. And so it's kind of documenting this night when we were at a restaurant, we thought she was choking, she started having a seizure. I assumed she was dying, you know. Wow. Ugh. I was crying on the street. There was a giant truck 
that drove by and saw us freaking out, probably saw me losing my mind. And the guy, he yelled out, you got to hang her upside down from her feet. Because <laughs> he thought she was choking. I don't know why we listened to this guy. We were just like panicking. Yeah. We had called 911. We were with some friends and the fireman came and he said, does she feel warm? Does she have a fever? And my wife was like, yeah, she actually did feel warm. And he's like, oh, yeah, febrile seizure happens every day. Weird. Yeah. I don't even know if I've heard that term before. It's one of these things that you don't know about. And then once you start talking to other parents, they're like, oh, your kid had one of those? I had one of those, too. It was the most frightening day of my life, you know? Oh. Heart Island. That's pretty literal, it feels like. I had a couple friends that I played that for, and they were like, oh, I don't know, man. That's not really sensitive. You're going to get canceled or something. Oh, it's great. Is it written from the point of view of the people digging the holes? The idea was that someone who was at Rikers Island had gone out and dug the graves for the first wave. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, i got to get back out there. Kind of morbid, I suppose, but... I read an article in The Intercept about these prisoners and they felt a lot of pride in the work. You know, they were helping send off these unidentified bodies, you know. Some of those initial images that came out of COVID, opening up refrigerated trucks and the mass graves and stuff are just heartbreaking. Yeah. And my wife, she's a midwife, so she was going to the hospital the entire time to deliver babies. There was this article about her hospital. Warren Buffett had used a private plane to fly to China to pick up PPE because there was a total shortage of PPE at these hospitals because America doesn't make anything anymore. <laughs> right. Elon Musk will rescue us. He's there. He's right there. He cares about us. When you started to write the album, I'm sure you can't predict the course that COVID will take, but how did you reconcile the songs you had in your head and the way you wanted to approach those with circumstances surrounding you at the same time? A lot of the songs are older songs that were maybe rejected by my bandmates or just never got fleshed out. So that's about 50% of the album. And then 50% is new stuff. I'm not a prolific songwriter. You know, I think there are people that write 80 songs and then whittle it down to 10 songs. I'm just like, can I write a song today? Maybe I can. Oh, no, I couldn't. You know, um, it takes me a really long time. So for me, it's just figuring out what the theme of the song is and then writing the lyrics, getting the melody all together, then making drafts and drafts and drafts of versions of songs. So I've got like the sped up version of Heart Island that I rejected, you know, and the final song, Running Away Never Looked Good to Me Till Now, that one was this really peppy, super fast song. And then I just slowed it way down. So it's all just a process of trial and error and trying to figure out what sound works the best for the theme of the songs. Are you the kind of person that throws everything at it all the instrumentation and then you can start pulling stuff later as you go or well with this one i played all the instruments on it and for a lot of the new songs i wanted to really sketch out the entire song with like an acoustic guitar or like a fender 12 string yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then inevitably i just cut it all up and then i have this mixing guy that i was sending things to and he could say oh no that sounds a little bit too much like fish or something like that <laughs> Something that he knew I didn't like. And I'd be like, oh, no, don't say it. You didn't lean into the fish? Oh, more of that. Come on. I would guess that Beginning Again mm -hmm. is not one of the songs that you had presented to Yay Sayer <laughs> no. and got rejected. I was just trying to strum weird metered chords while I was putting my kids to sleep. And that became that song. 
And you know, with that one, it's funny. The Pitchfork review was like, oh, it's so catty, the lyrics. But I actually just took all the things that I'd heard my bandmates say that I had thought, you know, just put them all together as if it was us as a group writing a song about how great it was to be free (laughs) from the shackles of being forced to be together, you know? Oh, funny. You listen to that song and oh, we're working through some stuff here. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Did any of them loop back around and be like, dude, what are you doing? I think they're coming to the shows, so we'll see about that. I hope I don't get a Will Smith smack in the face, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Mid-song, rush the stage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My name out of your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. I don't use any names. You know, I never use any names. Yeah. I always try to go for a, it's not them, it's me, you know, which is the truth, you know. (laughs) How has tour planning been? You're hitting the road soon, right? Yeah. I'm really excited. I haven't been this excited for a tour in a long time. I feel like new neurons in my brain are getting sparked. Once you go solo, it just seems like you're doing everything yourself. (laughs) Right. Which is a gift because you're actually just much more engaged. You can't deflect the responsibility and be like, oh, I thought you were taking care of it. Right. Just in general, touring and planning that right now feels very stressful. There's been some ups and downs. A couple of shows have canceled because of, you know, low ticket sales. And it's just we're in this post-COVID world, you know. Right. Yeah. You're playing the Fremont Abbey. Yeah. May 10th. You're going to be here. I'm really excited about that show. And the opener is this artist called Mount Fog. And she makes some cool music. Oh, yeah, totally. So I'm playing a 12-string, actually, for most of the shows, this Dan Electro 12-string. Is that a vintage or new Dano? I don't know what the story is. I got it for 50 bucks at a practice space closing sale. Wow, (laughs) that's awesome. I have a feeling the guy who I gave the 50 bucks to didn't even own the guitar. (laughs) Just clearing it out, you know? I spent more money getting it set up right than i spent on the guitar 12 strings getting them set up can be a deal yeah that leads perfectly into what we've got here ed yeah it could be argued that it started with george harrison in 1963 our friends over there at rickenbacker yeah they prototyped a 12 string electric guitar and the very next year they built a second one and they gave it to George Harrison. Was it a solid body or like a 360, 300 style? It was a 360, 12 string. Okay. And then from there, everybody had to have the 12 string electric. Right. And so at that point, Fender was like, oh crap, it looks like these are popular. We should do that. This is a 66 you've got. It is. Were they made pre-CBS? No. Oh, okay. Fortunately, Leo had been working on a new bridge design. Leo Fender, of course. You remember him. Whoops. Leo. We lost him. (laughs) He'd been working on a bridge design that has a saddle for every string. On a 12 string? Yeah, 12 saddles. Does this have 12 saddles? It does. You can raise and lower and move back and forth (laughs) the action on each individual string. Oh, that's cool. Which makes this thing really accurate. When you set it up, as opposed to the ones that only have six that are a pain in the ass to set up. This thing stays in tune more accurately up the neck and is easier to adjust. And they made the neck wider. I find it easier to play. So they put it out in the CBS era. Okay. About mid-year 1965. And the pickups are that weird 
split single coily thing? Two split single coils, kind of like on the P bass. Is that to get more bass out of the fat strings and more treble out of the skinny strings? <laughs> that's my guitar theory. <laughs> that's a really good theory. Yeah, more fattage on the one side and more skinny on the other. Right. That's how that works, right? The skinny strings make the high notes and the fat <laughs> strings make the low notes? <laughs> I think that's exactly right, Ed. Okay. Sounds good. So when it came out, how did it do? I think the 12-string thing was over at that point. They were too late. <laughs> you are correct. Rickenbacker got to it first, and that became the one everybody wanted for as long as that lasted. I don't know how much it would impact sales, but this guitar has potentially what I think is the ugliest headstock of any guitar ever manufactured. <laughs> they call it the hockey stick headstock. It's terrible. Six tuning machines on a side, but then this bloip at the top with the Fender logo on it. Yeah. Do you know what that looks like? It's it's a little flaccid would be my take on that headstock. Droopy? Droopy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is bad. Not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Why would they want that? I really love these guitars. I think they're yeah. really cool. But that headstock, I just Droopy. hate it. I don't think I mind it so much. Yeah, that's kind of your deal, though. So for something that was introduced in 1965, how many $1965 did this thing cost on it? Was it $200? Ooh. That's a good call. Ed, what is your guess? I'm thinking it's more like $742. Wow. I think Anand is closer. Really? Yeah, this thing went for three hundred thirty-nine dollars in nineteen sixty-five dollars. Still, that's a lot of money. I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> Do you want to try to redeem yourself? <laughs> I bet in today's dollars, that is twenty-six hundred dollars. That's pretty close. So, what's the answer? It's about three thousand dollars. Inflation, you're saying? Yes. From the three hundred fifty. Okay. I'm feeling pretty good about my $50 Dan Electro 12-string purchase right now. Absolutely. What is the $50 in 1965? Oh, my gosh. That's like Ooh. four bucks or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. This thing sounds really nice. You know, with the 12-string, it kind of sounds cool when it's a little out of tune. Yeah. I think you're right. Phasey kind of sound. Yeah. I've got flanger, I've got tremolo, and I've got my jazz chorus, chorus that I can switch on. I'm always playing with the kind of pitch being a little off anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. I noticed that with the piano you used as well. So the combination of the piano and the guitar then adds this depth to things, it seems. Yeah. When I was starting off these songs with a strummed acoustic guitar, some piano, electric guitar, anytime I would add synthesizers... They were like a little too perfect sounding, a little too right on the money with the pitch. Right. Could never get it to sit in the mix very well until I started running synths through a memory man pedal and going in. Artificially introduce a little weirdness, yeah. Well, this sounds like a great place to actually play something. Dealer's choice, I suppose. Is there one you would like us to play off the new album? No, uh, you guys choose. Get more than my share. Yeah? I love it. Oh, okay. That's Mountain Dulcimer. Yes. I tuned a Mountain Dulcimer to a G and a B flat. 
Okay, the album is I Don't Know My Words. This song is Get More Than My Share on and Wilder. I love that song. Thanks. I love it. I wasn't really sure what that was, the Mountain Dulcimer. Yeah, I'm playing it live. It's like the first time I've ever played an acoustic instrument live on the road. I actually need to get a case for it. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I got a pickup installed in it. Oh, that's cool. It's running through all my pedals. It's really finicky. Like if it's a little bit too loud, it just feeds back all over the place. Yeah. But it's fun. Yeah, it's like a raga punk song. With this album, I feel like there's this incredible intentionality to the song order. Specifically, Get More Than My Share into Porcelain Doll feels like this one-two punch. The message of those two songs back to back, I might be reading more into it, but there's this mountain dulcimer. And then you go into Porcelain Doll, which has those great lines about how to pronounce your name. Am I reading something into there that isn't there? No, that's it. Yeah, you got it. Everybody's coming up with their own interpretation. 
you know, and I have an idea about what it's about. This woman told me it was about taking on the persona of a woman. She had been told her whole life that she was a doll and she hated that. Do you ever write a song with maybe less intention and then you only find out what it's about yourself later? You know, you write songs and you hope it's a little bit provocative, but you don't want people to say you're doing something awful, you know? (laughs) So I'm just happy when I read a review and it's not calling me out for something that I didn't intend, you know? Running Away Never Looked Good to Me Until Now was about a friend who I thought needed to get out of a relationship. But once I slowed it down and kind of repeated the one line, I was like, oh, this is about me and about getting out of the band. It's not you. It's me (laughs) because of you. (laughs) (laughs) And you recorded this whole thing in your house? I've got a house in Bed-Stuy and I've got this studio that if you could see it, it's completely a mess. I was in Yesay for 15 years and we just accumulated gear. We were not a a band that was like in the practice space with our guitars and then let's head to the studio and let them all do it. It was always a lot of tinkering at home. And when you start to tinker and you earn some money from touring, you're like, well, I need to get that preamp. Are you into the preamps or are you just into the guitars? Yes, I am. All of this is going through a rack of outboard preamps. Nice. Ed? Yeah. Do you know what happened to this guitar? You said it came out in 65. Yes. You're holding a 66. Yes. My guess would be they made that guitar for four years. They discontinued it in 69. They had a whole bunch of parts left over. Yes. So they were like, crap, well, what are we going to do with all these parts? We can't waste them. Yep. So the lower part of the guitar where the cable plugs in, they just cut a big hunk out of it. Right. And they called it the Maverick. Yep. The headstock. The droopy flaccid headstock exactly they just filled in six of the holes because the maverick was a six string guitar as much as i don't like the headstock on this guitar the guitar is actually a cool offset it's neat looking the maverick they actually cut a big hunk out of the guitar it's terrible (laughs) there was a guy named babe who worked in the woodshop at fender and when they were trying to figure out what should we do with all these leftover parts mac Babe was like, hey, give me a couple of minutes. Maybe I can come up with an interesting shape. And he just took some bodies over to the bandsaw and just (laughs) started cutting shit out. Wow. Old bandsaw, babe. John and his whammy pedal. I love the whammy pedal. No, I know. I know. The whammy's amazing. I've had the whammy for over 10 years, and the saxophone player is using the whammy in my set. (laughs) Yeah, see, Ed? Of course. All right. Well, I think we did a great job. Yeah. How'd we do? Did great. It's fun. I like it. I love the podcast vibe. It's just mellow. And again, for the listeners, May 10th. At the Fremont Abbey here in beautiful Seattle. Yeah. You're on tour. Is there anywhere people should go to find out more? You can buy tickets through my website, which is onandwilder.com. And yeah, just, you know, I guess I'm supposed to be like, you got to follow me. Follow me on YouTube. Follow me on Spotify. Are you ready for the high gain bump? I'm ready. I don't think we said what Anand's Instagram handle is. I've got the music one called Anand Wilder Music. We're on the Ruinous Network, John. We are on the Ruinous Network, and we need to thank our our man Joe Plummer for hipping us to Anand. Yep. We didn't even cover your vasectomy. (laughs) We didn't even talk about that. 
You want to hear about Anand's vasectomy? Go over to the Tour <laughs> Stories podcast. Yep. It's a 30-minute podcast, and at least 12 of those minutes are talking about Anand's balls. Yeah. So that's pretty good. I'm on team vasectomy as well. Oh, nice. My doctor was Stephen King. Wow. That's just a thing. I didn't know he, he moonlighted as a uh, vasectomy doctor. <laughs> you didn't cover the smell of smoke. You know, the cauterizing thing? I don't remember that. I was so hopped up on Valium, I think. They do the cauterizing thing, and Ooh. so you just look down, and it looks like your balls are on fire. They just take, like, a buck knife and put it in the campfire. Yeah. <laughs> so go check out the Tour Stories podcast. Yes, and we need to thank Anand Wilder for showing up and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to do it. We'll see you in a couple days. All right, see you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye.